The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. I remember being asked uh, by people, you know, will you stand? And I was humming and hawing. And my wife said, look, if you don't stand, you'll be moaning about it for the rest of your life. <laughs> and she Sounds said, like why don't advice. you stand? Uh, the way things are, you're not going to get elected. Then you put it behind you and you can go and carry on doing the law. Now, unexpectedly, I did get elected. But having been elected, you know, I had to make you know, decision. And having stood for election, I don't think you can go. You can't tell the electors, I'm sorry, I made an awful mistake. Hello, I'm Kevin Poulter. On today's podcast, we're joined by Alistair Darling, former Chancellor of the Exchequer, former lawyer, and now member of the House of Lords. We talk with Alistair about his early career in the law, how he was a safe pair of hands, which went on to steer the British economy through some turbulent times. We also talk about the current state of British politics and the threats to the United Kingdom and the potential rise for further calls for Scottish independence. The hearing. Alistair, if I can call you Alistair, uh, uh, thank you for joining us. And I, I think I'm right in saying you might be the first Scot that we've had on the podcast. Um, I'm looking for a nod now and I'm getting one back. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to pick your brains a little bit later about uh, English and Welsh law and Scots law. But for the moment, let's start with you and your early years. Uh, you were born in London, but people don't think of you, I think, as being English. Uh, you're very much known as being a Scot. Well, I'm Scottish. Uh, it so happened that my father was working in London in 1953 when I was born. Uh, it was in a comfort to you when I was six months old. Uh, his next job was in Lairg and Sutherland, uh, which is several hundred miles to the north. Yes. I'm very much in Scotland. But most most of my um, childhood was spent, uh, because my dad was an engineer, we were never anywhere for more than two or three years. Right. So I went to, I think, about six or seven different primary schools. Wow. Um, I, we moved around a lot, both in England and in Scotland, which is why I can be both Scottish and I feel Scottish and British. Uh, and, and European, I'm sure, which we'll uh, come on to perhaps a little bit later, um, being topical as it is. Um, so you were at school, uh, various primary schools, but uh, you went to senior school in, in Scotland, yeah. I believe. And uh, it was a private school, it was a boarding school. Yes, it was, yeah. Um, did it teach you anything being in that sort of environment that you would later use in either your legal career or ultimately your political career? No, I think that the thing that probably formed me as an adult far more was when I went to Aberdeen University. Um, and, uh, you know, that's where I would say I grew up. Uh, you know, I met people yeah. from different parts of the country, different walks of life. Um, and, you know, it made me, um, you know, it's not just the you're studying, but the social life in university that that makes you, and that's that was probably the most influential period of my life. Together, of course, my family, uh, you know, close friends, mm. and so on. And what informed your politics around that time? Well, my father was a lifelong Conservative voter. In fact, he was vote, voted Conservative until Margaret Thatcher uh, gave that speech that's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mound, <laughs> where she's is reputed to have said there was no such thing as society. Yeah. Uh, and I remember my dad coming home saying, that's it. I was always brought up to believe you didn't walk by on the other side. Uh, yeah. And you know, he didn't uh, vote uh, Tory ever again, which is just as well because I stood in 1987 <laughs> uh, in uh, for, for Parliament uh, yeah. for the first time. And my, my his father had been a liberal. My mother's family were classic Highland liberals, which were very fiercely independent, anti-establishment. And but I joined the Labour Party because it, it was the party that most fitted with my views. And I joined just as it was becoming deeply unpopular when James Callaghan was the Prime right. Minister. Uh, but uh, you know, I stayed in there. I got elected unexpectedly 
1987, and that's when my legal career stopped, and I suppose my uh, political being started. Yeah, well, before before we get to that point, I want to talk about uh, your legal career, um, which was, was I seem to be going great guns by the time you did become a politician. At the time, so you became to, to into Parliament, but the politics had been carrying on all the way through that. Yeah. Uh, first of all, why why law? Why law at Aberdeen? Well, um, Aberdeen, because my cousins had gone there. We lived in Edinburgh, uh, and I didn't really want to go to university at home. It's far enough um, away. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, Aberdeen's another ancient university. Uh, you know, I'll make the point that we had four ancient universities when England had just two. Uh, I, I liked it. Mm. Um, you know, I liked the mix in Aberdeen, the mixture of Highland and Lowland Scots people from all over the UK and yeah. beyond that. Uh, why the law? Uh, because I was, you know, was fascinated about you know, how laws are made. And mm. I, think, I think the most important thing that the law taught me is that there are most problems you come across, uh, and this applies in, in, you know, in bucket loads in politics, is there's usually a simple point or a problem. There's usually one point. And if you can sort that, or if you can at least get to the kernel of the yeah. argument, yeah. you can then proceed beyond that. It, the other thing that, uh, you know, certainly practicing law teaches you is you've got to have an ability to be picking up something, uh, forget what you've been doing for the last couple of hours, concentrate on this, reach a conclusion or move it along, mm-hmm. and then move on to something else. So the ability to pick up and put down uh, pieces, that, of course, in politics applies you know, just just as much. So I think, you know, I'm glad it's a good discipline. I would say to anybody, you know, if you get a good law degree, mm. it'll, frankly, it'll set you up for most things you want to do mm. in life. It's not the only thing you, you can do, but, you know, it. I don't regret it for one minute. And, you know, the four years I spent in Aberdeen University were yeah. four of my very happiest of years. Academically and socially. Yeah, <laughs> probably more of the social than academic, <laughs> as, as my director of studies wrote to me recently, actually, when the university was kind enough to give me an honorary degree last year he said um, I used to complain that you uh, didn't spend much time studying and if you did you might have done a lot uh, better he said but I'm glad that you ignored my advice because you know he agreed with me uh, you know in the 2014 Scottish referendum for voting to stay in the UK and he also was you know talked about the financial crisis of 10 years ago Mm. so um, he was a very good director of studies but he and I both agree that in retrospect we're glad that um, his advice was ignored (laughs) Um, and and, uh, I'm going to come back to it sort of the politics at the time that you were in university you were uh, heavily involved with the students' union. It wasn't called the students; it was the council. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it's the same thing. Same thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and became sort of the, the head, the president. The president. Yes, yeah, thank yeah. you. Um, and was that uh, was that as a result of your um, many friends through your social life, or was that more about, again about sort of political aspiration? No, it, it, you can't win with just your friends. I mean, defy anyone to say they've got enough friends to get you elected to anything. Um, but no, it, Aberdeen University was pretty apolitical in the 1970s, unlike you know some of the other universities. You know, you know with what was happening in the LSE or Warwick and places yeah. like that. And uh, you know, frankly, you know, I only joined the Labour Party after I left university in 1977, so I wasn't right. in any uh, party at that time but it, it, it was it was it was the campaign was 
as much oriented around the student Aberdeen students' issues of the day as opposed to anything else. Um, so, you know, and you know, I stood, the guy who stood against me was actually in the International Socialists, which is now the Socialist Workers' Party, at least if it's still going. Mm. Um, but, you know, I met him years later and he'd, uh, he was a very nice chap. You know, <laughs> he, was, he was glad that he didn't win. <laughs> not, not staring you down across, uh, across the road? Far from. We were both at a fundraising due to raise money for a new library at the university. Oh, great. Um, so, uh, came out of university um, and went into in, straight into law. Uh, and what was what was that experience like at the time? This is the late seventies. Yeah, I, I, on, on, you know, it's different levels. Mm. Clearly, if you've been a student for four years and you are pretty much you know your own master when it comes to time and discipline and everything else, clearly the discipline of having to go to an office where it you know things started at quarter to nine in the morning and finished at five o'clock and there was an hour for lunch, and it, you know it was, it was a small traditional Edinburgh you know family lawyer practice uh, but you know very thorough they taught me mm. some very good grounding you know mm. uh, never mind you remember people of my vintage will remember when you used to write these letters thank you for you as a fifth inst you know and <laughs> you know my boss would say well no, why are you doing that you know that's wasting time you get straight to the point you know and there's lots of discipline you know, useful discipline that you mm. learned there and then you know when I was there I was working with a partner who then left to go for to at that time one of Scotland's biggest commercial firms right. and about three months after he left he rang up and said would, would I like to come when my then legal apprenticeship was finished yeah. so I went to work for them for four years and that exposed me to commercial work you know they were you know the BBC's lawyers they you know they, right. they did you know completely it's a completely different to a family's practice mm. so that gave me some very good discipline and then after that you know because I was politics was intruding at that stage right. um, probably more than was wise I decided I'd go to the bar which Again, of course, the advantage is I could, it was my own time, except that, you know, when you're starting off at the bar, you can't be turning down instructions. So it wasn't entirely, it was my legal, really, my legal practice at the bar was just about getting off the ground when I agreed to stand for Edinburgh Central, confident that I would never get elected yeah. because, you know, Thatcher was ruling supreme at that time. Yes. And indeed, I had a six-week trial teed up for um, the, uh, the the Monday after the general election, 1987, which would have paid all my costs of training, everything make, uh, and of course, I had to phone my clerk on the Friday and say I can't do it because I think I ought to go to the House of Commons. Wow. Well, it's interesting you say that. We've had some other um, uh, former lawyers and politicians uh, on the podcast, and Ken Clark sticks in my head because he was working as a barrister and he continued working as a but barrister, you can't, right? It, even up to being in cabinet. But the difference is that if if you are practicing in Scotland, which is four hundred miles north of London, it is not. It's not. It's very difficult to do the both, uh, because uh, you, the risk is you get caught out in court when you should be down to an important vote. Now it could be done. John Smith did it, though. I'm, it took a t an awful toll on him. Yeah. You know, you would go up on the sleeper, yeah. appear in court and back down. Now you can do that occasionally, and even with his stamina, you know, it, it, it you know, it took a, a big uh, toll on him. Mm. So, it, you know, I remember when I was elected. One of my, uh, you know, colleagues in the House of Lords said, "Would you like to, you know, be admitted to one of the ends of court here?" And I said, "No, not really, because you know, at that time I'd just been put on the front bench the yeah. year after I got elected, and I thought, well, you know, um, I've made my, I've chosen what to do. I have a marginal seat." And I really, you know, if I, if I wanted to be a lawyer, I should have stayed being a lawyer and who knows what would have happened mm. or not happened. Uh, so I, I made a conscious choice. And I think I did one case after I got elected. Mainly it was an appeal on a case that I'd done 
before the election, so I was sort of duty-bound to yeah. do the appeal. But um, since then, I have not appeared in a court at all. Wow, and and, and I- incredible in many ways. You, you've already mentioned that you're on the front bench within the first year. And your career has really stayed at the front bench, um, both in government and in opposition. And what, having done a bit of research around you uh, in anticipation of today, uh, what I find remarkable is that you don't really, I don't think, have held a seat that's used your legal expertise. Uh, no, and I didn't want to either. You know, I, if you want to practice law, be a lawyer, you should go and be a lawyer. Um, uh, you know, and, and of course, as the years go by, you, you, you know, you lose touch. When my son did a law degree, I remember he asked me to help, you know, in, in some of the things he was doing. And I was looking at it. All the leading cases yeah. that he was being referring me to were all decided after I entered Parliament. Yeah. And it, on top of that, some of the statutes referring to me, I remember taking through Parliament. <laughs> you know, I remember the, the Bank of England Act of 1998. He said, what's that mean? I thought, I have no idea why we put that in, but I'm sure there must have been a good reason for it. So, you, what, That's reassuring that even you don't know these what, things. What, 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 um, what the law does enable you to do is to ask critical questions and to you know, structure things and to you know, ask yourself, how do you address a particular issue? But if you want advice on the practice of law and what the law happens to be, then go and see someone who's actually practicing. I mean, you wouldn't go and consult a doctor who last uh, wielded a scalpel 35 years ago. <laughs> no. Well, uh, they might give you advice voluntarily, of course, um, without the insurance, be careful. Uh, so, so you, whilst, whilst in, in practice, you were also, I think, a councillor in Edinburgh. Yes. Um, and, and how did that match up with your... Uh, well, it, it didn't, it didn't. Because um, there's a family as well coming along at the same time yeah, or around that well, time. Well, my children were born after the general election, so, you know, the, but, you know, I, I was on the, 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 what was then the regional council has since been a, a, a abolished, but, you know, it covered the south-east Scotland, really. Uh, and that's where, I, you know, I, I have a long-standing interest in transport, and, and as you know, I became the transport secretary yeah. for four years, um, you know, uh, many years after this. Uh, but it was a time of bus deregulation and all that stuff. So, it, but I could, I, you could do, it was, because the council was part-time, you know, I could do my law, and, I, you know, I was I was training for the bar, and then, you know, started that then. But, you know, it's very difficult to mix two different things because sooner or later you will let down one side or the other and that's what you must professionally and politically you shouldn't do it mm. uh, so you know I, I wouldn't recommend it it's interesting because we speak to people who maybe don't say it outright but I know people who have gone through a legal career with a view always to be in parliament yeah um, some do but uh, but that wasn't you. No, I mean, it, uh, the only reason I became a member of Parliament is because Robin Cook um, was the MP for Edinburgh Central, where I lived. When the boundaries changed in 1983, he moved to Livingston, which is just outside Edinburgh. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I remember being asked uh, by people, you know, will you stand? And I was humming and hawing. And, you know, my wife said, look, if you don't stand, you'll be moaning about it for the rest of your life. Uh, she <laughs> said, like why don't you stand? Uh, the way things are, you're not going to get elected. Then you put it behind you and you can go and carry on doing the law. Now, as I said, unexpectedly, I did get elected. But having been elected, you know, I, I did, had to make you know, a decision. And having mm. stood for election, mm. I don't think you can you go. Don't. You can't tell the electors, I'm sorry, I made an awful mistake. I didn't think I had made a mistake. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was very happy to, to do it. And what do you think you would have 
done had you not been elected? I know it's difficult oh, to it's say. Oh, it's impossible to say, isn't it? Uh, you mean, you don't, you don't, at that time, you don't have the specialisms mm. in Scotland because it's not big enough that, uh, which that you have in England. Um, and, you know, mo- most, most people got who, you know, reached the top of their career, they mm. were um, judges in Scotland, would have had a criminal and a civil practice you know, at, at times, yeah. whereas now in Scotland, as in England, it, you know, you, it's not uncommon to find somebody who only does crime yeah. or only yeah. does planning or, or tax or whatever. But in those days, it was pretty mixed. Um, but um, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not an expert in the Scottish bar now. You know, it's you know, it's a, a long time since mm. I, I practiced. Uh, you know, in fact, I know most 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 of the judges who are now on the bench were. They were probably my contemporaries or younger. Yeah. And that, it's rather like the police one. That's when you begin to realise that you know, <laughs> yeah. time is passing. Yeah, it's, it's still uh, still best to stay out of court, of course. Now, you then went through a, an incredible career, um, as I've said, in opposition, but also in government, and steered the country through an incredibly difficult time uh, through the financial crisis. And have been hailed um, as being very much a saviour, I think, uh, um, because of that. Yes, but people are always nice to you. Uh, once they're absolutely sure you're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> the challenges around that and the decisions that had to be made, did your legal training come into play? And did you, at the time, work with a lot of lawyers in government, in parliament, in, in the civil service and outside? to steer that course, or were you very much working well, well, with economists? You know, I have to say, the, the main decisions, um, you know, in, in particular, uh, did you stop the banking system from collapsing or let it collapse? That's a political decision, it's not a legal decision. Clearly, the legal consequences, but no, that, that's, that was a judgment uh, that we reached at the time, uh, that the consequences of letting the entire system collapse uh, were um, you know too horrific to contemplate, which is interesting. Ten years later, we have Brexit, where similar considerations are in play. Yeah. Obviously, you know, being a lawyer, you're not bamboozled when you do have to deal with lawyers, and you know, there's uh, with RBS, HBOS, and mm. all that lot. The, the, you know, there was legal ramifications, and you know, you, you're, you I suppose you, because you know something about it, you, you're. You know, your instinct is if someone tells you to do something that doesn't seem right or you don't want to do it, is to then challenge them. So, um, you know, I, 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 I think it's far more political than it was legal. Mm-hmm. Uh, although clearly when you make your arguments, you know, the, you know, the, some of your old legal disciplines, I said it's a very good general training. But I, I, what I would say, I, I, there used to be a hell of a lot more lawyers in the Isaac Commons than there are now. And I think it's better that there are less of them rather than more of them. All right. It, Parliament should be representative, you know, broadly, of the population as a whole, mm. and most of the population are not lawyers. Mm. Um, and if mm. we, you know, it's been said often before, science is very, very underrepresented, yeah. which is odd because it's quite important. Yeah. You know, people who know about technology are pretty thin on the ground. Um, and, you know, it's, nor is it answered by sticking a few of them in the House of Lords. Uh, so I, I think, you know, as I said, I would recommend the law to anyone who's interested in it, obviously, as a good discipline and a good grounding, which you won't regret. But you're doing something different when you're, you know, in government or in opposition. You know, you're you're trying reflecting, you know, your judgment, which is mm. in, in no small part um, influenced by what your constituents think mm. or, you know, what you're seeing going on around you. It's, it's not a legal thing. 
following on from that, you've, as you've mentioned in 2014, you were part of the Better Together campaign uh, to save the Union and, and avoid uh, Scotland uh, gaining independence. Uh, do you see a greater... Uh, sorry, I put it slightly different. What I was saving was the idea of Scotland being in the Union. I don't think the Union is an abstract thing that you would do that. And, you know, and I've always made the point, Scotland's entitled to take whatever decision we collectively think. Yes. I just think we were, as I said on the tin, better together as part of the UK. Yeah. Um, and the only observation I would make is if you have a referendum, you really have to quite work hard, quite hard at it. We sort of <laughs> slipped into the last one yeah. where... I don't think enough work was done, enough analysis was done as to what was motivating people. Mm. They just thought it was a very simple thing and mm. that people would just somehow say, well, yeah, we'll stay where we are. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a legal thing. The politics of these things tells you people do not vote for the status quo mm. um, because something else is always better, Yeah, well, even you, if it turns out to be worse. Yeah, you, you say that, yet uh, sort of the Blair-Brown government was in uh, was around for... Yeah, yes, but, but if, if, if you look... Whilst when, if you look in the last, you know, 40 years or so, Margaret Thatcher won in 1979 because she said, look what's happening with the winter of discontent, all the strikes. I'm promising you big change and something will, it'll, it'll be better. Similarly, if you look in the the, the next landslide, or the, actually a much bigger landslide in 1997, yep. Tony Blair's pitch was, this is this is a young country, it can do, we can do a lot better than we were, but to do that, you've got to, you've got to invest in education, you've got to invest in science, and so on. It was mm. about change. Mm. And, in, and Thatcher was about change, Blair was about change. Now, I, that, that's what you need to do if you simply go to people, especially with something like Europe, where in Britain we have a very transactional relationship with Europe. You know, you were talking about being European. If you go to France or Germany or Italy, in all public buildings mm. you will see their flag, the national flag, but you'll also see the, the EU flag yeah. as well. You will not see that uh, in the UK. And the reason for that is that every country in Europe, bar our, ourselves, joined the 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 original common market uh, because they were escaping from their past. Germany, mm. France, Italy, Greece, mm. you know, the, the, the former Soviet uh, countries. Whereas we joined because we wanted to trade. Mm. The thing is, therefore, the people, are, you know, in the country as a whole, you know, felt slightly different, you know, distant there. So you can't just pitch the argument as saying, you know, what is it you don't like, most of which I may say is homegrown mm. decisions of, you know, it was, you know, austerity made that Brexit vote um, probable, not possible, but probable. And you say, well, you've got a choice of this, which isn't very good, is it? Or some fantastic land where there are unicorns roam, uh, where you won't have any of these things, you know, the pots of money, the foreigners will just roll over mm. and give us whatever we want. Um, you know, they only just scraped it, but, but they did it. So the campaign was bad, but having had the campaign, what Theresa May should have said is the country is split down the middle. No one's going to get everything they want. It's going to have compromises on both sides. Instead of that, she painted herself into a corner. And in the last three years, things have become so poisoned doing any negotiation with the European Union is going to be difficult mm. but uh, equally the divisions within the country have reached you know the level that you know I haven't experienced in my lifetime uh, you know you know I can tell you from you know my Scottish experience referendum referendums are deeply divisive yeah. you end up with friends not speaking to each other yeah. families divided and so on and, and you've you've mentioned the reasons uh, the, the the situation we were in when the ref Brexit referendum took place. Are we very much in the same situation now with regard to Scotland? 
Is no, this I, playing I, into I, Nicola no, Sturgeon's I, 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 Obviously, you know, Scotland voted heavily to remain, although it's worth bearing in mind that something like a third of uh, nationalist supporters voted to leave. You know, you know they don't like um, the union with the UK, they mm. don't care much for that. But, you know, emotions are running high. Um, rationally, we trade three times as much with England as we do with the European Union. If you had a hard border, you would have exactly the same problems you got with Northern Ireland. Yep. Uh, you'd also have yourselves slap up against what is increasingly an English nationalist Brexit party, um, you know, which you know, appears wholly indifferent uh, to relationships full stop, never mind the one with us. But equally, you know, the European Union, as you know, you see, you know, some in the SNP have said, well, we wouldn't join the fisheries policy. Well, you know, the European Union has made it rather clear that if you join, you yeah. join the club. You yeah. don't say, yeah. but these rules don't apply to me. You'd also almost certainly have to join the euro. Uh, and you remember one of the big issues in 2014 was the currency. Yeah. Um, now, how could you use the pound if you've got a hard border, uh, you know, between England and Scotland? Mm. And you know, if you were going to join the European Union, I could see them quibbling with the fact, say, but we'd like to use the currency of this country that we don't, we've broken away from, and Europe has broken away from too. So, mm. I, but once you start opening these arguments up, um, you know, but in in my experience. You know, as they say, nothing is inevitable in this world except death and taxes. Which <laughs> is true. Um, uh, but, but, uh, let's say, bring it up to date now. Um, you're away from frontline politics. You're sitting in the House of Lords. Uh, would you be tempted, would you be uh, quick to return if there were to be another Scottish referendum in five years, ten years, however soon it might be? And actually, how, how soon do you think it could come if it does come at all? Well, nobody can predict on, on timing because, frankly, at the moment, Everyone's at the time distracted. I'm doing this interview, we don't even know how long this, this UK Parliament's uh, going to last. No. We don't know what our relationship with Europe... And, by the way, at one point we've missed out. Even after you get leave agreement, oh. you'd still have to then work out what, what the permanent arrangements are, and that could take, you know... A generation, frankly, yeah. but no, I'm not, I've made it very clear. And when I left in 2015, you know, I said, on umpteen occasions, a financial crisis and a referendum is enough. And, you know, I've done that, um, <laughs> and um, you know, I'm, I have no desire to return to frontline politics. Uh, although, you know, I confess it is frustrating sometimes yeah. lying in bed listening to today program. <laughs> you know, just saying, why don't you say this? Why don't you say that? But, no, I've, I took a decision to leave and I've not regretted it. Good. So since you left frontline politics, uh, how uh, you obviously went straight into the House of Lords, but what else have you been doing with your time? Well, after I left the government and, uh, 10 years ago, I decided that um, I would write a, a memoir, mm. if only because there was a lot of people who would come up to me and say, what was going on with the banks? What was it like? And so on. So yeah. instead of the classic political um, autobiography where you start off the first thing I remember and then you go through your childhood <laughs> and all the rest of it and you write it basically for about six or seven other people um, who you probably know whereas <laughs> you know when I you know wrote this book my publisher said look write it for you know the Daily Mail reader write it for someone who you know is interested in what's going on but don't fill it with weird language like liquidity and uh, you know and collateral debt organizing uh, and so on you know write it for somebody who's interested in it which is why mm. it did reasonably well because you know it, 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 it i hope it captured what happened yeah but also a fascinating time in politics as well 
It is, you know, and, uh, you know, the news the other day I read something where someone was referring to it as an authority for some proposition yeah. or other. I don't know, but you know, I'm glad they did it, okay. and I wouldn't write another book. Oh, really? No, the problem is, if I did one on the Scottish referendum, I'd very quickly get into being critical, <laughs> and I really, you know, you get to a stage where it, you know, there's no point in picking fights. <laughs> I want to draw a close, and I hope not to embarrass you at all, but in preparing, I read a lot of things. I saw a lot of photos of you, particularly as a younger man. And I've got to say, you look more at home probably at Woodstock uh, than you would in Westminster. Um, do, do you, you sort of very radical, uh, political, uh, uh, sort of almost Che Guevara-esque appearance? Well, I can uh, assure you, I, po- <laughs> I post-date Woodstock my, you know, some years. Um, but um, yeah, that's what people looked like in the 1970s. And it's, well, uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible change. And I, I want to finish with a few words um, that you've been called over time. Conscientious, diligent, reliable, safe pair of hands, straightforward, pragmatic. Um, are you still that person? Do you think in your sort of more older years, having experienced a lot of things that you've been through recently and certainly previously, has that changed that appearance? That, I that don't, you know, I don't think your, your essential traits, I doubt, you know, when you hit your mid-60s, they're going to change that much. But you'd be foolish to say something wouldn't come along that caused you to radically rethink. Mm. You think, I haven't seen anything yet, but, you know, that might well be the case. You'd be very odd, you know, if you decided that at a certain age you weren't going to change your mind, uh, because you know things will come along that you might very well to change your mind that have, may have a profound impact on you one way or another. Mm. Uh, so you know, who who knows? Uh, but um, you know, I hope I made a contribution in the uh, twenty-seven odd years I was in uh, the House of Commons. Um, but you know, there's other things you can do mm. outside politics. But uh, who knows? I think there's a lot to look back over and be and be cheerful about. So thank you very much uh, for your service, uh, but also for joining us today. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. The Hearing. As ever, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Join us again and uh, why not give us a rating or subscribe? That way you'll get an alert every time we release a new episode. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.